Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Pacorny. Hello and welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we continue to give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Shimmy Shimmy Coco Paul Getz, and now if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie that either has no sequel or a sequel that comes up short of its original and each try our hand at coming up with a better one. And when I say we, I am of course referring to myself and a guest. Today, that guest is none other than the Uniballer himself. You may know him as the creator of the Sandlerverse. He is the Sultan of the Supercut, wellspring of energy, as well as a dear friend and occasional co-writer of mine, Shimmy Shimmy Sean Coney. Hello. Hi, Sean. Hi, Paul. <laughs> How you doing today, Betty? Oh, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Getting to chat with you. Nice. That's pretty rad. Yeah, I'm into it as well. Uh, the movie we are focusing on today is 2019's Little, the spiritual sequel to 1988's Tom Hanks classic, Big. Now, this is the first spiritual sequel we've done on the show. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, a spiritual sequel is a movie that doesn't actually uh, add to the storyline or even the universe of the first one, but connects to it with some of the same themes or elements and is in some or is in some way inspired by the pre-existing film. A few examples uh, I came up with would be like the Cloverfield movies. Everybody Wants Some, the spiritual sequel to Days and Confused. Well, that one's a little easier to track because they're both Richard Linklater. It's a weird, vague type of sequel idea, but uh, I, I really wanted to, to do big, and uh, I felt like I we, we couldn't without, without at least touching on little. We interrupt this program for the summary of two films. Big. Josh Baskins is a 13-year-old boy with a happy life, a loving mother and father, a baby sister, and a rowdy best friend named Billy. One night, he is embarrassed at a county fair by being told he's too short to ride a ride in front of his schoolyard crush, an older girl who is already dating an even older guy. In his frustrated state, Josh comes across a magic fortune teller machine called Zoltar Speaks, which we know to be magic because it works when it's not plugged in, and after paying the obligatory quarter, wishes to be big. The next morning, he wakes up in the body of his 30-year-old self, played by Tom Hanks. He is able to convince his best friend Billy of the truth, but is not so lucky with his mother. Mother, who now believes that her son has been kidnapped by this 30-year-old man. Because the fair has moved on, Josh must wait several weeks to find where the Zoltar machine has gone, so he maintains the ruse of his own kidnapping and decides to get an adult job to pay his way. He gets hired at Macmillan Toy Company, where Macmillan himself was impressed by Josh's understanding of being a kid, and so he quickly climbs the ladder. This attracts the hatred of a man named Paul, played by John Hurd, and the attraction of a woman named Susan, played by Elizabeth Perkins. Susan and Josh fall in love and have sex, leading Josh to reconsider whether he wants to return to being a kid at all, but after being confronted Confronted by Billy, he does decide to go back. He tells Susan the truth. She doesn't believe him. Then she does believe him. After he wishes himself young again, Susan drives him home to where she watches the grown man she's been in a relationship with turn back into a child and finally reunite with his poor, poor mother. Little. Regina Hall plays Jordan Sanders, who runs a tech company. She is a selfish, overbearing person who is a terror to her employees and refuses to commit to her perfectly kind and perfectly chiseled boyfriend. She is especially awful to her assistant, April, played by Issa Rae, who has app ideas but won't be heard by Jordan. 
One day, Jordan is rude to a little girl with a magic wand who curses Jordan following their encounter. The next morning, Jordan wakes up in her 13-year-old body. She enrolls in school for some reason, where she bonds with a group of ragtag kids who are victims of bullying like she was at this age. This should be what the movie is about, but it's not. Instead, it's about April taking Jordan around and not letting her do adult stuff. At the same time, it's about April running the company and proving herself to Jordan, all while dealing with her own crush on a handsome coworker. In the end, Jordan helps the kids become accepted by doing a dance with them at the talent show, and then goes back into her own body the next morning for no reason. She finally gives April the respect she deserves for promoting her, and also gives her relationship a fair chance. Literally nothing happens with April and her love interest, and Mikey Day plays one of the tech company's clients. Nice. Let's start with the fun part. Talk about big. Uh, Who said it, it, the other part's not going to be fun? Yes, you're right. Talking about it, that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting through it. Now, big, a seminal classic. Everybody loves it. Rotten Tomatoes score of 97%. I mentioned to you after we watched big, you know, I've seen it a million times as a kid. I, I had it pretty well memorized, but I haven't seen it since. And uh, I was pretty impressed at how well it held up. It is one of a handful of movies that's close to perfect. I felt like it really benefited from having Fe Penny Marshall direct. It made it a gentler, more sensitive story than perhaps it could have been. And uh, I felt like it wasn't ultimately very problematic, especially given some of the dark, weird things that it deals with. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, especially if you made that movie now, it would be mm -hmm. a lot weirder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty impressed, like, sort of we talked about at how seamlessly it sort of avoids the darkest parts of itself. You made the point that it's because they don't focus so much on the mother's side of things. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. if you're going if if you start to dwell on how horrifying that is that her son has been kidnapped, has been <laughs> like he's 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 written letters that he's at summer camp. Um <sighs> that letter. That, that, God. That, yeah, the letter is horrifying. It's the letter's horrifying nuts. as an adult. Yeah. I feel like I was old enough in watching this before to realize that it was funny the letter he was writing because it's like he's not totally taking in the full scope of the situation <laughs> he's just trying to like a kid make his mother think that he's doing everything she'd want him to do but it is whew. <laughs> you know it's it's also really interesting too because like you also never see the dad you never see mr bash but he clearly yeah. exists because the baby is very new and he takes his dad's clothes but like even 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 when uh, when the police were there and Billy's escaping to give him his dad's clothes. I had forgotten Mr. Baskins is even in it at all. You do see him at the fair. Because they're oh, wearing yes. the hat. Oh, yes. yeah. But, but I agree that I had forgotten he was in it at all. And then this time I realized, oh, yeah, he is in it, but never once the movie gets started. Yeah, well, see, again, again, you, you're, you're avoiding the, the sad tragedy at home and you're just <laughs> focusing on this whimsical journey of this kid in an adult body. Yeah, and they're still able to do it without completely erasing the weight of that side of things. You know, when you do see the mom, it is heavy and it is sad and she is like losing it. It's pretty far. It's close to the end that you finally see her talk to Billy I would say that scene is 
they even avoid like they show that she's sad and that Billy's trying to make her feel better. But then Billy like immediately is like, good night, closes his window. You know, she's going to go in and cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cry all night. Performance. Um, yeah. Great performance. What we get of it. She's fantastic. Sure. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> when, when Josh comes back in and tries to explain it to her, like her freaking out is, is wonderful. And I, and I it's love phenomenal. a little bit about him being like, Oh shit, I forgot my shoes. I forgot. I forgot. Oh, to wipe, the wipe the shoes. Yeah. Uh, so funny. That part, of, even though that's dark, it's funny because of his uh, naivete in the situation. Yeah. So the movie was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. The writers are Gary Ross, who wrote Dave, Pleasantville, Seabiscuit, The Hunger Games, and Ocean's 8. Bit of a mixed bag, but Dave and Pleasantville, come on. Uh, and then Anne Spielberg, sister of Steven Spielberg, who has no other film writing credits. Huh. Pretty cool. Before coming to Penny Marshall to direct, it was first offered to John Landis. Then Richard Donner, Frank Oz, Ivan Reitman, Amy Heckerling, and John Hughes, all of whom turned it down. But uh, because of this movie, Penny Marshall became the first female director to ever direct a movie that grossed more than $100 million. I did. Pretty freaking rad. Yeah. That is one thing uh, that Big and Little share in common is they have kind of cool backstories when it comes to some of the people behind them. Um, but we'll get into that. Some of the actors notes that I came across were big that were, that were pretty interesting. Tom Hanks was the first choice, but when they first approached him about it, he was committed to Dragnet after which for a while, Robert De Niro was attached, but his salary demand went up to $6 million at which point they opted to wait for Hanks to become available because he accepted the $2 million that they originally offered because of the Robert De Niro uh, attachment for a while, David Moscow, who played young Josh, was, was originally cast as Billy, but when casting switched to Hanks, they switched him to young Josh. And then uh, other people considered for other parts, Deborah Winger was offered Susan, but she had to turn it down because of pregnancy. She suggested Elizabeth Perkins. And for Paul, the only other actor I could find who was also considered was John Lithgow, which would have been pretty great. Although I had also sort of forgotten to some extent how fantastic John Hurd is in this movie. And he was another part that like, as a kid, it was easy enough for me to just think him as the simple bad guy. But putting it into perspective a little bit more, I do understand his perspective. Sure. Especially up to the um, paddleball scene. Like in the paddleball scene, he he's kind of shows his true colors of just being a real great a asshole but up to then he's like his world is being ripped down by this guy <laughs> and some of my favorite drunk acting ever that scene where he's just blitzed the, on the, the party <laughs> yeah seaweed <laughs> you know this of course was hanks's first oscar nomination uh, well-deserved. Apparently, to give him an idea of how a 12-year-old would behave, uh, Penny Marshall filmed the grown-up scenes, or at least some of them, with David Moscow first, and then Hanks would watch it back and mimic the actor's behavior, which sounds like an amazing thing for that actor to do for the course of that whole production. For sure, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. 
I mean, also, you know, that's that's like whole other days of shooting. But maybe they part of it was like a band aid for oh, you're not Billy anymore. Like you don't have as big of a role, but you're super important. And he is. I mean, he's great. Some other fun facts about the movie, according to Robert Logia, there were doubles standing by to get the piano playing shots correct if Tom and Robert couldn't. So they made it their goal to practice enough so that they would nail it, and they did. Nice. Yeah. So those are all the right notes. That piano, the famous one that inspired the idea, Adafio Schwartz, wasn't big enough for the two men. So Penny Marshall called the in- the inventor of that toy and had him design one long enough for the movie that's awesome yeah so what was your experience with big i mean i know we're i asked you to do this one because we're both massive hanks fan we've we've bonded a lot over our hanks love but uh i mean i i can't remember not having this movie around just a a a movie that i i watched growing up and you know and then there was like a span of time where you know, because like, like when you're a kid, when you're growing up, you typically just watch the same stuff over and over and over again. Then oh, yeah. As you grow older, you're like, oh, well, you know, I can expand things. And then you forget about the stuff that you watched when you were kids. And then you're like, oh, well, I'm in my mid 20s now. Um, and then it has a whole new world because you're not seeing it as, you know, through child eyes. One thing about Big that I think register, I mean, it registers with adults and bring them back to childhood, but it really effectively has to register with kids because there's a bunch of these movies and I guess a lot of them register with kids, but there's a bunch of these movies like body switch movies or the, the kid inside the adult, the adult inside of the kid. But big is really like, when I think about it, the quintessential child in an adult body fantasy, like everything that happens to Josh as the adult version of himself is like a kid dream. He works at a toy factory. He gets to, have sex early he gets to deck his apartment out like a kid would yeah yeah i can see that and it's able to do it i think even with the sex stuff pretty innocently you know josh baskins as the as the way they create him yes he talks about girls and and stuff with with his friend and stuff but he is a complete innocent and in in the sweetest ways every time like in no way is he a shitty kid well, yeah, and uh, especially sexually, uh, even, yeah. even though he's interested in girls and he talks about it with Billy when they have the, the baseball cards, but when Susan is very clearly hitting on him and, like, asking to sleep over, he's j- it's just every one of them over his head. Zoom, zoom. Like, he's not catching yeah. anything. Which is, it, it's funny because he clearly, I think at that point, he is developing a crush on her. But just looking at it through kid eyes it's like it doesn't register yeah it, as yeah. it could possibly be the other way yeah. well he's he's developing a crush like a kid would not like an adult would because an adult would be like well sleeping with this woman right yeah. now but that's like yeah. not a not a thought that even comes into his head oh going back to the um the fact that robert de niro was uh, was attached to this movie for a lot a little while it made me realize that de niro and hanks have never paired and it's something I've never thought about. But I think that their styles would play very well off of each other. The only way to think about it now is like to do it now is like two grandpas competing over some. I mean, that sounds shitty, but somehow that could be good. I don't know. Those two guys playing against each other and then teaming up at the end. I, ugh, I don't care what the movie is. I'm already excited. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pairing would be interesting. 
And one thing, oh boy, we got it, and we got to put this on the air because we 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 started talking about this a little early via text. You were talking about the scene where he is going to uh, have his date with Susan, and he blows Billy off on his birthday. Yeah, you said it seemed apparent that he wished on his birthday cake to have sex with Susan. That's that's how I read it. Well, and I, I agree. I agree that that is what he's he's makes sure. that little naughty face. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, it's a sly naughty face that he makes. Yeah. So then that made me realize for the first time how weird it would be for you as Josh Baskins to make a wish of any kind <laughs> on your birthday or any time after that first one, and then that made gave you the even bigger realization that in this movie he gets three wishes granted. Yeah. It breaks it up into a pretty clear three-act structure. I don't even know if they intended for that in the movie. I but mean, they almost had to have. After this, any wish he ever has, makes that doesn't come true, gonna oh, piss him off. He's gonna be furious <laughs> the rest of his life. Anytime he, he makes a wish after that, because if, if for three wishes in a row you wish to be big, then you were big for six weeks, and in that six-week time, you also wished to have sex the first time, and then that happened, then you switch back to being a kid, and life is hunky-dory? No. Anytime from there on, you make a wish, and it doesn't happen, you're super pissed off. Just ruined as a person. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> spoiled beyond belief. Yes. Well, before we move on to, to, to what we're here to talk about, Little, I, I the last thing I want to say about Big is, you know, I talked about how basically perfect it is and because i was so impressed with that this time i was trying I, I eventually started watching with a critical eye or attempted to to just sort of pick out anything that didn't flow for me and there's only two things and the first one i made peace with the first one is the moment where he's in the limo with susan mm -hmm. and she says she'd love to see where he lives and so they decide they're going to go to his place then it cuts to a wide shot of the limo coming to a screeching halt and then reversing full speed down a one-way street it just took me out of it for a moment i i, I eventually made peace with it because like okay i guess it's her driver and maybe they have a understanding that if she wants to sleep with a guy he's got to step on it <laughs> But I like I it just seems so unnecessary. I didn't understand why that was in there. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I've I've always interpreted it as the driver heard it and was like, I got to get this guy laid. <laughs> he just really I guess he, he did offer him the food. So he must really like him. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is a good one, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I did make peace with that one. The, the only thing that remains that I don't think works as well as it could have is the sequence where Josh is going around to all the places of his youth as an adult and sort of looking at them longingly before he decides he wants to go back. I see what they were going for. I just think putting him there in that creepy trench coat, just standing and watching other people live their lives, like it just looks weird, first of all. And secondly, sort of because they felt like they probably had to avoid the sadness, he doesn't go home. 
He doesn't look at his crying mom or Billy or anything. It's just like a weird bunch of like places that he's just like looking at the idea of childhood in general. I, it was a little strange. I don't know how necessary that was. And it's and it's even a swerve at the beginning of that segment, too, because he starts off walking down that street and you're like, is he going to go back home? And like as an yeah. adult. And then he, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's just some street, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly the same neighborhood. Yeah. I, I also remember even as a kid thinking it was weird the way it's cut, where there's a scene of him looking at Cynthia Benson and her brother and her boyfriend and all those kids that you remember from the fair early on then it cuts to him throwing a baseball and i remember as a kid be like is he throwing a ball at that car full of kids <laughs> but then it goes into a baseball sequence but you still don't even see anyone interact with the ball that he threw it's 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 a weird shot yeah you know yeah that's that sequence is really weird it almost makes me feel like the studio made them put that in because some some test screenings came back like, well, he doesn't make a clear move that he wants yeah. to do. And it's like, yeah, he, he says he wants to go home to Susan. Like he, he gets vulnerable and he and he, and yeah. he gets a, like that's that's the moment. You don't need creepy trench coat sequence. Yeah, and you also have Billy yelling at him and yeah. telling him what's what. Like that's that's the catalyst. You don't need another catalyst. So, yeah, I would say you cut that scene and you pretty much got a perfect movie. And now that we've talked about such an excellent film, let's keep the good times rolling and move on to Little. Now, this is a, as I said, a spiritual sequel, and it is that in a cooler way than most things. Um, The origin story of this movie is super cool. Marci Martin... I should have looked up how to pronounce her name. I hope that's correct. But the 14-year-old girl who stars as young Jordan in Little is a supporting cast member on the show Blackish. She's one of the daughters. When she was 10 years old, saw the movie Big, went to the creator of Blackish, Kenya Barris, and essentially pitched him the idea of making this movie. Uh, sort of the reverse of Big starring her. And as a result, when they agreed, she became the youngest executive producer ever on a Hollywood production at 14 years old. Really cool. Yeah. And I have to say, before we get into the things about it that maybe don't work, she is by far the best part of the movie. Yeah. She, her performance is impressive. She's charming. Uh, you know, when I think about this in comparison to Big, which, I mean, Tom Hanks was already pretty successful, but it, Big got him his first nomination. It was absolutely a performance movie in which his excellent work was bolstered by a good quality movie. This was a huge feature for her and did a lot to show her skill. It just nothing around her supported that in any way, shape or form that worked. And it's sad to think that to look at Big as an inspiration for this and then do what they did, it's like it, it, they weren't even trying to hit the same mark of quality. I understand they were probably trying to give it their own voice, but I think both things could have been done and better. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I agreed. I agree. I agreed to do the podcast. But then you told me what movie we, we watched. <laughs> this this is a movie that 
I saw the trailer for. I had heard that news about uh, that girl, uh, like it being her idea and the youngest executive producer and all that stuff. And I was like, that is awesome. I don't think I would enjoy that movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, I had no plans to watch it. Um, I, I, all, all things said, I have seen many worse movies than that. I have, I have, I have, I have not enjoyed things much more. Than it's not, it's not all bad. Again, she's terrific in it. Um, I really like Regina Hall normally. I'm a big Regina Hall fan, but, and, and I guess she did pretty good at the beginning and the end of the movie or whatever, but I, that character, oof, man, I just wanted to punch her so yeah. fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, I would, <sighs> I am a big Regina Hall fan. I think she's hilarious. I, I was not behind what she was doing in this movie. And I don't know. I mean, like, I never want to blame the actor. They're, they're working hard. But uh, she was, at the very least, she was not questioning what was on the page at all. Because the thing that's character, the, the dialogue that character was given was uh, nonsense from the beginning. I also, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that the entire movie was an anti-bullying campaign. Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> For that to be the case, I have to say the the bully who is like the bully for her character, the girl who they, they use the same actress in her flashback sequence at the beginning to be her bully when she goes back in modern day. Right. That girl is so mean and so unchecked by anyone. It's as if there are no adults at the school. And this girl is just running every class, running ever after school activity. And they even make her racist. And she does so many awful things that like every single action she takes is a like aggressive, basically violent act of hate towards the Jordan character. And in the end, she nothing happens to her. Jordan yeah. kind of like gets in her face a bit. But for her to have spent the whole movie being this sort of like face of the bully, this tormentor, and for her to go unchecked, I thought was really unsatisfying. Yeah, I agree. And I and I found that to be a trend in the whole movie. I thought everything that they set up was eventually dropped. Issa Rae's character and the guy that she had a crush on at the office never got together. That was like their whole thing. What I thought would have and could have and should have been the main plot of the movie, which at least would have been better, was her and the nerd kids. You know, oh, like yeah. her. And I thought that those kids were actually kind of effectively sweet and seemed odd and strange enough. And then, you know, kind of, I mean, I guess that is the climax of the movie that they dance together and stuff. But it's also poorly sloppily done it looks like they had about 10 extras to be their audience of kids so they just go to these really weird tight shots of some kids clapping and you're like wait are they do they like it or not what's happening (laughs) um boy i just yeah i don't know i like i don't even have all the examples written down of how basically everything they attempted in this movie they either abandoned or just failed It, it was much worse than i thought it would be and i don't really see why it had to be that bad. It didn't. They could have spent a little more time on it. I mean, the way it it seemed like they were just shooting this movie for like an hour 
every day after they shot something else real. Like it was like a secret project that they were all pitching in time for. It felt like they were just like, they would get to set and go, but here's what I want to do today. Let's do a dance sequence. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, Like, ugh, ugh, sorry. I just, <laughs> there's the scene where they're in the restaurant and she wants to drink and Issa Rae won't let her drink. And then it just sort of like jump cuts in the scene to her singing on the bar. And I don't know if she's supposed to be drunk or not. Yeah. And then they just sing. <laughs> yeah. Just so unearned. Yeah, almost everything in the movie is is unearned. I mean, like, even the climax at the dance thing, because she doesn't spend enough time with those kids, it doesn't mean anything to me as a viewer seeing them succeed yeah. at the dance. It also, like, uh, her switching back didn't really feel super earned. No. <laughs> I don't even remember how it happened, because I know the girl with the wand doesn't do it. No, she just wakes up the next day, and it's only two days. She's only in the kid body for two days, and that's how happy she is, like, afterward. It was just like, you were, yeah. for 48 hours, you were a child. Tom, Tom Hanks was there for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't think, and I don't think it justifies her, I don't think she did learn anything. No. Really, when I Not think about days. it. Had everything been the same, but just grounded. I would have at least, like, probably not as much as Big, but enjoyed this as a spiritual sequel to Big, because it's like, fine, yeah, like, if it, if it's a different universe, it's a different person, I, I like it being a black woman, I like it being an adult to a kid, but nothing is grounded for moment one, so who cares? Yeah. Who cares that there's magic? Who cares that there's comedy? It's all nuts <laughs> from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. even even the it's, first initial whiff, like, why, like, why did that one even happen? Right. Because they don't, because in the end they established that that girl was not magic. Mm -hmm. And it works in big for them to keep it vague. It's a magical machine. We know that it's magic because it has to be unplugged. I don't want any more. I don't need any more. Then that is an explanation. But you can't just whatever. And the <laughs> rules just whatever. Also, what is fun about big is watching an adult act like a kid. What would be fun about little Kid acting like an adult, maybe? Yeah, she does. And she's great. But that's not where the fun of it comes from. She never gets to use her adultness to do anything in the kid world because she doesn't spend any time in the kid world. Right. She just hangs out with the other star of the movie who it's like, why is this person here? Right. It, it, it almost felt like they had to put an adult in the movie to take care of the kid otherwise. How is the kid just running around? Yeah, I still think even just one sequence of addressing that concept where you see how the kid figures it out, way more fun. Sure. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. I bet. No, I'm yeah. I'm just saying it was, it, was like a, it was probably like a studio thing. It was like, we can't promote kids like going out and uh, running around pretending they're adults. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, for what it's worth, I guess I can tell that they probably had fun on set because... You can tell that they left in everything that was improvised. They left in everything that was a suggestion from someone behind the camera going like, say this line. Then they say the line, leave it in. It's just too much of people like throwing things at the wall. It's like they're making 10 different movies at the same time, not committing to any one. All that being said, 
I did think Mikey Day was pretty hilarious. And it was kind of bizarre, really, for something like a whole character to work because nobody else had that. And, and, and again, the little girl was really good. And amazing props to her for getting a movie made that she pitched when she was 10. I mean, granted, it took four years for it to happen, but still, fuck. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Like, well yeah. done. Keep doing things because it's only going to keep getting better from there. If you're all, if you already get your first movie made at 14, a, a, a theatrical release feature film at 14. Yeah. That was your idea. Like, it's only going to go up from there. Yeah. And she earned every bit of it. I mean, she was everything that that part could have needed and, and that you could have wanted from that character. Like, I, I, I just wish it was a different script. I mean, maybe if she was older, maybe there would have been a little bit more of a quality check maybe. on the situation. The filmmakers behind it, the writer-director, this was her first directorial outing, probably part of where the Leave Everything In came from. But she also wrote Drumline, uh, ATL, and What Men Want. I've only seen Drumline, but it's pretty good. And then her co-writer was Tracy Oliver, who wrote Girls Trip, which I also haven't seen, but gets a lot of praise. I always had an itch to watch this movie. Just anything being called a spiritual sequel to Big, I probably would have eventually come around to it. But uh, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. That's for sure. I enjoyed aspects yes. of it, but as a whole, I did not. Another thing I thought of that they did really poorly: the transformation scene itself, the reveal scene, which is such a classic in Big. Uh-huh. It has so many small moments in it. They like kind of skip it in little. They have her look at herself and then say, I need coffee. <laughs> and then they try to give it to you again later. And it was just very unsatisfying. I did not care for that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, I didn't necessarily notice it a whole lot when she went little. But when she went back, it's like, your glasses aren't that fucking dirty. You clearly yeah. can see that you've <laughs> aged 35 years. <laughs> well, I also wish just for the sake of having it in there, there was a clarification line about whether or not she got LASIK or what happened. Because <laughs> they don't <laughs> spend any time with that at all. Yeah. And they didn't do anything when she woke up as a kid where like she needed her glasses, like couldn't see or anything like that. It, that was that was very confusing disappointing yeah yeah it was yeah it was like you you were close to solving a rubik's cube and then your asshole older cousin came in and fucked it all up and then yeah back to you (laughs) it's like the end yeah there it is (laughs) that's what it's supposed to look like um (laughs) well all right i guess it's about to become our turn to try at uh at doing a little bit better um I always lead into these pitches with the questions that I like to ask. First being, should this movie, Big, have a sequel? No. Did I answer it quick enough? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, uh, boy, would I have been blown away if you'd said yes. But it's a, it's just a big fat no. I mean, this movie does everything you could possibly want it to do. And and I, it kind of comes with my pitch. Any further exploration into these characters lives it makes the whole picture darker Uh, it's hard to not have to address some of that stuff if you come back that's very true i didn't try to do a spiritual sequel because sort of like i said 
I'm okay with everything they did with Little on paper. So, so mine is more of a, a direct sequel. In fact, my main pitch is uh, it would have to have been shot within like three years of the first one. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. So do you want to go first? You have two pitches. So do you want to hit hit me with one and then I'll go and then you go? Or how do you want to do this? All right. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll warm up with the more family friendly app. You just want me to jump into it? Oh, yeah, yes, please. Uh, uh, the floor is yours. Take it away. What's he got? So Josh becomes like so. So we flash forward to Josh at like, I don't know. 22 and he finds out that uh before he switched back to being a kid he knocked susan up and has a child that's i mean i don't have i don't have much past that it's just you know oh that's oh okay high high jinks afterward the other one is a little bit more complicated but but yeah that's okay no that's just the shell of the idea right that's great and i'm i i'm gonna use that as a as a transition into my pitch here because i did use that same idea for mine, I hopefully it's not too too much. I you know, bear bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. Are we ready? On Josh Baskin's twenty-first birthday, he goes and finds Susan to declare his love for her because he's not he's always held a candle. He hasn't been able to let her go, uh, but finds that she is married to a man her own age, Ted Danson. Is my dreamcast. <laughs> Okay. Um, and has a seven-year-old son. Uh, she lets him down gently, explaining that she will always love him, but this just isn't what either of them needs. So, heartbroken, and still, you know, 21 and adult, but still young. On his way back home, he comes across a Zoltar machine. Now, this time, he misses the first shot into Zoltar's mouth. And I'm not, I, you know, it could be like a active nature thing, like the ground shakes or something like where it's, it's, it's as if Zoltar is doing it himself. But then he sinks another quarter and wishes that he was what suit, like, I think the way he would phrase it is something like, I want to be what she needs mm-hmm. or something like that. And the fortune card that comes out reads, your wish will be granted nine years later. Josh celebrates his 30th birthday. So now he looks as old as he did in the first movie. Uh-huh. He's still friends with Billy, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> with his hair dyed red. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, who's now a high school gym teacher, as well as has his own crappy rock band that he does in his like free time on the on the week- evenings and weekends. And I sort of pictured there being a dialogue where like Josh was like, man, if Coach Barnes could see you now, and uh Billy's like, turns out his job is not hard. I don't want it to be that Billy's all of a sudden an athlete. He's just has a day job. Right. Anyway, Josh also has a girlfriend whom he seems comfortable and happy with named Donna. Jamie Lee Curtis. Ideal casting for that one. Uh-huh. So that night, the night of his 30th birthday, Josh is confronted by his mother, who now recognizes him as the man she believed took her boy all those years ago. <laughs> uh, she reads him the letter that he sent back to her <laughs> just because that letter's so I wanted to put it under a microscope again um, and asks what really happened to him so he tells her the whole story meanwhile Susan and Rick who is the dancing character are having trouble with their now 16 year old son Mac 
who I named him Mac just as sort of like a nod to the Macmillan boss from the first one. Mac has closed himself off from both of his parents, especially Rick, and keeps getting into trouble at school. Uh, he seems to be falling in with a group of angry-seeming antisocial types who are like all dressed in dark clothes. That night, the school library is set on fire, and when Mac gets home, there are several clues that lead Susan to believe that he was involved, but he won't talk to her about it. So, she needs help. The next morning, Josh wakes up next to Donna as his 16-year-old self, still played by David Moscow, just three years older. Uh -huh. It's an awkward, comical scene where that ends with her kicking him out. So he goes to see his mom, who sees her now 16-year-old son again in front of her eyes. Together, they figure out that this has to do with the wish he made regarding Susan, and they go to see her. From there, a plan is formed that results in Josh enrolling in high school and befriending Mac in hopes of helping him reconnect with his parents before it's too late. Billy is both of their gym coach, and I'm seeing that there's, you know, a fun gym class scene in which Billy sort of helps them get an edge over the other kids, and, you know, he's, of course, in on what's going on. Uh, Donna also comes in on what's going on because Mrs. Baskins explains everything to her. And Josh, you know, falls victim to all the classic pitfalls of teenage life, bullies, popularity, all that stuff. I want there to be a scene where he's helped along to get popular. He has to get popular for some reason by Donna introducing herself to a bunch of the like popular guys as his, his girlfriend. Right. Which, you know, would of course earn all their respect. Um, Josh successfully connects with Mac and I went a little saved by the bell here connects with Mac and comes to find that a large source of his and his gang of friends rage is linked to an orphaned, homeless girl who is expelled for breaking and entering when she was caught sleeping in the library. That's why they burned that down. He and his friends have all taken turns letting her secretly sleep at their houses. So getting this information from Josh, Susan patches things up with Mac by coyly acknowledging that she's known about the girl and that she should ask, ask the girl down to dinner with them the next time she's, she's there. Uh, I want this to lead to a scene in which like Rick and Susan are seated at the dinner table waiting for uh, Mac to come down. And then Mac comes down with the girl and Rick, who is of course behind on all of this stuff is like really blown away and like, especially blown away by how comfortable Susan seems with it. But basically in general, I just want Ted Danson to be this likable goof who doesn't really know what's going on in the whole movie. The film climaxes with Josh and Mac talking the more aggressive and hot-headed leader of the teen gang out of putting fire to the whole school. In this scene, as like a way of talking him down, Max reveals that he's never known his real father. Billy further helps the aggressive kid by encouraging him to put his aggression into both football and rage rock music. So Billy bonds with that guy. And then Josh finds out he's Mac's dad. He knocked Susan up when he was 13. She didn't know how to tell him. She didn't want to burden him as a young man, even when he came to see her. So then in the end, Josh witches himself back to normal and remains a part of Susan, Rick, and Mac's life secretly as the kid's father. Um, and then Mrs. Baskins as his grandmother, also still connected with that whole family. And then I want there to sort of be like an epilogue scene in which Rick Dancing once again, who is sort of bit like, again, he's he's behind everybody, doesn't know what's going on, but he's able to put together that something is special about the Zoltar machine. Mm 
So he goes to make a wish on it. And then Susan being like, oh, here, let me help you. Plugging the machine in before he makes the wish so that she knows that whatever he does, it won't come true. And it's just sort of like stops the cycle of madness. Right. So that uh, that in in a pretty long nutshell is my pitch. And I call it small. Oh, for sure. lack of a not being able to call it little. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, way more in depth than you led me to believe I needed to go. <laughs> it's longer than I I would have liked, but I think I just maybe like I ran out of time. I, I, I in you terms ran out of editing time stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept running into time <laughs> with that. What is that? Well, three, I kept three three fucking college rule sheets of paper. <laughs> I I kept running into plot holes that would send me back one of them that I sort of just had to let go after a while was like, how can Tom Hanks play 21 and 30, <laughs> you know? And I, the only solution I was able to come up with was it's like a boyhood, you know, that boyhood movie where they're shooting things in different decades and you just have Colin Hanks play 21 year old. <laughs> but that would mean that in 1991, Tom would have to be like, oh, my kid looks enough like me. He'll be perfect for this in about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> so, yeah, probably an impossible movie, but that's... Well, I'll, I'll flat out tell you that my main idea is an impossibility 100% at any okay. point in time. <laughs> I tell you, like, and this is not... This is not my main pitch, but if you're going to make a sequel mm. to Big, the way to do it is through the Zoltar. I see. So it is a spiritual sequel, but more direct in that the Zoltar remains the source of the magic. Right. You could call it Wish. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I really like that. Um, I'm trying not, to think that's, if... That's not my pitch. That's, that's off, the, off the top. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean... Something like a good quality version of Little with a Zoltar machine. <laughs> well, also, you know, I, I, I know we, we raked across the coals already, but even the logo of Little, when you think of the logo of Big, it's simple, it's red, it's lowercase, it's iconic. You immediately know what I'm talking about. The logo for Little looks like like it was written in Wingdings font and then printed on a banner and then animated. It was a, another mess. Probably don't need to tear down the uh, titles guy or girl <laughs> in addition to everybody else who made that movie. But ugh, ugh. I apologize about going on a little long with my pitch, but I... You shouldn't apologize. Yeah. It was a good pitch. I'm glad that you did a full outline. <laughs> okay. Logline version is he goes to help Susan's son as a... 16-year-old version of himself. Yeah. I do like that, even though it was my alt version that we both connected on Josh having knocked up Susan before he switched back. Yeah, but I, I think it can work both ways. I like it as the focal point, and in mine, I like it as just sort of a, oh, shit. And, I mean, I didn't even think about that. Also kind of a, in, in big style going around the weird darkness. <laughs> like, we'll <laughs> yeah. save it to the end, and then we'll make it like a happy family reunion thing. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, uh, are you ready to give your oh yeah final sure. pitch? So and is this this is a direct sequel? Yes, this is going to be a direct sequel to Big. Okay. Um, but it would be you know much much later. Don't forget, look him in the eye. It, it, the main character is going to be uh, Billy. Wow. Okay. It's a spinoff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who uh, plays Billy? Same guy. Oh, oh, Jared Rushton. Okay, cool. So, after Big ends, something tragic happens to Josh Baskins. Like, like horrific, like side effect of his body going big and then back to small. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's gone. I I'm already. Oh boy. And it's and it's a big time news in Jersey. Big big time news. So so Billy and his family, which we haven't seen, um, are dramatically impacted by it. So they decide to move and change their names to the Thompsons. Billy becomes Ron Thompson, and they move next door to a wacky scientist who just so happens to shrink Ron Thompson. Whoa. I'm, I'm crossing universes with Honey, I yes. Shrunk the Kids. Billy is his character from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr trying to get away from the, from the tragic death of his uh, former best friend <laughs> and neighbor. So, so really, he just has the worst luck in neighbor choosing. Wow. Okay. All right. So, so he, he, he goes through the traumatic experience with his best friend, Josh Baskins. Then he goes through the traumatic experience of being shrunken. He's, he's in his mid thirties or whatever. And he's like, his, his life has been ruined by his childhood. And he, he stumbles upon a Zoltar and, mm. and, and, and wishes to go back in time as he, like into his younger body to try and fix things. Fix things by, Never letting the first big happen in the first place. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's it. That. Uh, whew, that is. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Uh, uh, from a mile away. I love. <laughs> what initially got me is that the magical circumstances had scientific repercussions. <laughs> on the <board> <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that magic is just science, you know, we don't understand. I, <laughs> and then, you know, furthering that by bringing them straight into Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where the science is like magic. Yeah, that really, uh, that seals the deal. Yeah. That's wonderful. I wonder, I don't know why I didn't wonder this before that pitch, but I wonder what happened to Jared Rushton after those roles. I mean, I like combining them into his greatest role of all time. Well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you even how that happened because I just saw him in something on, on Disney plus they have this um, show about props from famous, famous props from famous movies. And, uh, and they have a couple of the kids come back and they found the, uh, the ant head. Oh, Okay. Um, and, and he's one of the kids and he, and, and I watched that, I think the day after you had asked me to do this and I was like, I am tying these two together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think of a title 
back to the uh, shrunk of the it's almost like you got three acts of various sci-fi and magic in one in one pitch and it is dark except that it's kind of light because he's trying to fix it i mean right. i guess i assume he'll be successful but it starts very dark <laughs> just the idea of josh baskins going back inside and hugging his mom and then he's like ouch <laughs> josh what's wrong oh, oh. <laughs> and it sounds better than little it, it is an improvement all right so very different pitches for the sake of keeping it unbiased and not without having a judge today i'm going to use an online free fortune teller to decide our fate here it's a yes or no question and uh, i'm going to put these in title by title so the First title I'm going to do is uh, be careful what you wish for. See if how that pitch goes. Okay. Uh, do you like? <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Your obsession with the past is hindering your ability to see what is really going on. That doesn't sound like they bought it. That sounds like no. a pass. Yeah, that sounds sounds ne negative. All right, all right. So, do you like small? I'm just doing these in order. Yes, before it's too late. <laughs> all right, that's a that's a win. Yeah, starts with a yes. All right. Greenlit. Yeah. Do you like honey? I went back to big. <laughs> there is something better on the horizon so like i think that that's a, that's a pass and just to go for broke here i'm going to put in wish now we don't have a full idea of what that would be but just basically a zoltar machine in a totally separate story right you can expect money in the mail or news that someone has some money for you all right <laughs> okay i think they bought it Well, well, at least you the know, one I, I came up with on the fly was the one it liked. <laughs> well, I tell you what, just picturing that title in the big font, that sounds pretty good. That sounds uh, real comfortable. I'm real comfortable with that. Yeah. Oof, well, awesome. Yes, this, uh, this was a success. We improved on Little uh, in many number of ways. We got dark. We got weird. I don't know what more you could ask for from experience like this. Yeah, that's true. Before we uh, wrap this uh, recording up, anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm always popping up in the internet comment etiquette videos with Eric, and uh, and I was just recently in the uh, Yai 500 episode for uh, Jack's Films, so that was pretty rad. But you are the Uniballer on Instagram. Where else? I mean, just uh, everywhere, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Um, you, uh, YouTube, you can you can search the Uniballer and find my profile there as well. Um, but Sh Sean Coney, really, on YouTube. Awesome. Cool. Just uh, 
a further plug for Sean's personal projects is Supercuts, and it goes beyond Supercuts what you do. I, it's sort of hard to encompass in one word. So if you're looking for a crazy and often surprising good time, I would definitely check out the Uniballer content. Yeah. Oh, and, a, and, and, and I do even have a, a Hanks-related video that I put out earlier this year. It's a, it's a clip of uh, Hanks from The Burbs watching Mr. Rogers on television, but I took out Mr. Rogers and put in Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, so it's Hanks yeah. watching Hanks. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, he was a real, uh, he's a real good-looking guy. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I guess he still, I mean, he still is. It's just, I, I bet he, I bet he pulled in his day. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to get fratty about it. Objectively, Tom Hanks with me, bro. <laughs> Perfect amount of chest hair, beefy, filled out those kitty undies real well. <laughs> <laughs>The movie we are talking about today, 1995's House Guest. My guests today are Derek Luchin and Jack Seaver McDonald. Should this movie have a sequel? No, it shouldn't have had an original. <laughs>